It's Thursday of the fourth week of Lent. It's the 22nd of March in the year of our salvation, 2007. And it's also time for another podcast with Father Z. today, Pope Leo the Great, speaking to us from across the centuries in the second reading for the Office of Readings today in the Liturgy of the Hours. It's an excerpt from a sermon on the Passion of the Lord, and it's just as wonderful and vital and fresh today as it was back then. We also will be hearing about the notification of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith about the theological errors of John Sobrino, a Jesuit theologian in Latin America, uh, involved with liberation theology. And also, I have a tirade on hearing confessions on Good Friday and Holy Saturday, or rather, not hearing confessions on Good Friday and Holy Saturday. Today in the second reading of the Office of Readings in the Liturgy of the Hours, we have a selection of a sermon by Pope Leo the Great, that's Pope Leo I, who died in 461. Leo had quite a few sermons on the Passion. He preached about it, of course, every year. Unfortunately, we have lost many of his sermons. We don't have his sermons on the Passion from uh, 446 to 451, and we've also lost the ones from 455 to 461. But we can get a glimpse of what his constant themes were in the sermons that remain to us. And for Leo, the passion must be our constant meditation, because, as he says in Sermon 62, you just can't ever say enough about it. Leo, when he's talking about this, he ranges over a a variety of themes, but he always goes back to the Incarnation. Leo's constantly returning to the reality of two natures in one divine person, and therefore the consequences for each one of us. If our humanity is truly in a bond with his divinity, that has absolute consequences for each, each one of us. Now, for Leo... Also, the passion of the Lord is as real today as it was when it occurred historically, and we can participate in it. He he even speaks to figures uh, of the passion, uh, including, for example, there's a, a time in one of the homilies when he begs Judas to convert. So what he's doing is he's trying to make these things, these mysteries of our salvation, present to us in a very real and concrete way. He must have kept his listeners absolutely spellbound with his glorious oratorical style and his magnificent Latin. So let's hear the selection that we have from the second reading of the Office of Readings. It was a a sermon preached on the 10th of April in 453, which was a Good Friday that year.
et sermonibus sancti leonis magni pape. Verus veneratur, dominice passionis, sic crucifixum Jesum oculis cordis aspigiant, utilius carnem suam esse cognoscat. Contrimiscat in redemptori sui subticio terena substantia, rumpantur in fidelium mensium petre, et qui mortalitatis gravabantur sepulcris, discussa obstaculorum mole prosiliant. Appareant nunc quoque in civitate sancta, idest in ecclesia dei future resurrectionis indigia, et quod gerendum est in corporibus, fiat in cordibus. Nulli infermorum crucis est negata victoria, nec quisquam est cui non Christi auxilietur oratio, a true worshipper of the Lord's passion should look at the crucified Jesus with the eyes of his heart in such a way as to recognize him as being of his own flesh. Let the earthly substance tremble in the punishment of its Redeemer. Let the rocks of unfaithful souls be broken. Let those on whom the tombs of mortality lie heavy break and leap over the shattered mass of obstacles. Let the proofs of the coming resurrection appear now in the holy city as well, that is, in the church of God. Let what must be done in the body come about in hearts. To no one among the infirm has that victory of the cross been denied. No one is there to whom the prayer of Christ will not be in aid. If it benefited many who were raging against him, how much more would it help those who turn to him? Ignorance is taken away, difficulties are smoothed over, and the sacred blood of Christ extinguished that fiery weapon by which the boundaries of life had been confined. Darkness of the ancient night has yielded to true light. Christian people are invited to the wealth of paradise, and the way has been thrown open to all believers for returning to their lost homeland, provided they do not close off for themselves that way which could be opened to the faith of a thief. As we celebrate the wonderful mystery of this Paschal Feast, dearly beloved, let us announce, while the Spirit of God teaches us, whose glory we have been called to share in and into what hope we have entered. Let us not so anxiously or so proudly busy ourselves in the occupations of this present life as not to struggle with the whole affection of our hearts to be conformed with our Redeemer through His example. He did nothing and suffered nothing that was not for our salvation, in order that the strength which was in the head might also be in the body. First of all, has that taking on of our substance in the divinity by which the word became flesh and dwelt among us left any person outside his mercy except an infidel? Besides, who is there whose nature is not one with Christ if Christ has received him by taking our nature, and if he has been born again of that spirit from which Christ was begotten? Who then does not recognize the stages of his own life in him? Who does not see that his taking no food, his rest in sleep, his anxiety and sorrow, and his tears of compassion made his form that of a servant? Since this form must be healed of its ancient wounds and purified from its offscouring of sin, the only begotten of God became also the son of a human being. 
That way, he would not lack either the whole reality of human nature or the fullness of divinity. Consequently, just as it was our nature joined into one with the divinity that the virginity of his mother brought forth, so it was ours also that the Jewish wickedness crucified. What lay lifeless was ours, and what rose on the third day was ours, as well as what ascended above the heights of heaven to the right hand of the Father's majesty. If we walk in the way of his commandments, and if we are not ashamed to confess that which brings our salvation to the humility of the body, we too will be brought into the company of his glory. What has been foretold will be openly fulfilled. Everyone who will confess me in the presence of man, I will also confess them in the presence of my Father who is in heaven. Et quod die tertia resurrexit, quodque super omnes altitudines celorum ad dexteram paterne maestatis ascendit, ut si per viam mandatorum eus ingendimus, et sique in humilitate corporea nostri impendit saluti non erubescimus confiteri, nos quoque in gloria eus consortium provehamur, Coniam manifeste quod denunciavit in plebitur omnis qui confitebitur me coram humidibus, et ego confitebur eum coram patre meo, qui in celis est. was a selection from a Good Friday sermon of Pope Leo the Great from back in 453. And you'll notice how very concrete he makes for us the consequences of the Incarnation. Because Christ did this, there are massive consequences and ramifications for each one of us. His sufferings are our sufferings. His victory, therefore, is also our victory. He makes this real. We are real participants in this mystery. So long as we do not extract ourselves from it, as we are not distracted from it, for example, by what he describes as the occupations of this present life. And so we have to struggle with, with everything that we are to conform ourselves to the Redeemer so that whatever was his victory can also be our victory. His strength, the strength that was in the head, can be also be the strength that's in the body. This is a good thing to remember when we go into the church uh, for Mass at any time, but especially during these wonderful days of the Triduum, which are coming up. See, when each each time we go into the church, we as baptized people, we go in and we become real participants in the sacred action of which Christ is the true actor. And we all have our own roles to play. There's Christ, like the head of the church, in the person of the priest, and there's Christ the body in the person of the congregation, and both together are the whole Christ, and his voices become our voices, our voices become his voices, our actions are his actions, he uses our hands and voices to act in the sacred liturgy, and so when, as real participants, these sacred mysteries that we observe in the Triduum are just as present to us as the 
historical events were to those who are actually standing in front of the cross or watching these historic events unfolding. Never think that just because uh, we, we cannot uh, touch uh, an ethereal sacred mystery, that, that doesn't mean that it isn't just as real as the historic events. Sacramental and liturgical realities are just as real as the things that we can experience through our senses. Secrets with the lies they told to you, and the least they ever gave you was the most you ever knew. And I wonder where these dreams go when the world gets in your way. What's the point in all this screaming? No one's listening anyway. so refreshing to hear the clarity of Pope Leo the Great about the consequences of the Incarnation and of the Passion. Back in his day, there were people who were making errors about these things, and, and he had to preach with great clarity in order to combat the errors and therefore keep in unity the Church of Christ. Well, if that was true back in his day, it's just as true today, because people are making the same errors even now. You know, it's absolutely fascinating to me how some theologians uh, enter into their reflections and their work as if absolutely nothing had happened before 1962. There's a, a, a disconnect between everything that went before and the fathers of the church and the early councils of the church, which clarified these things about the nature of Christ and his incarnation, what happened with the passion and his resurrection, who man is, what our relationship to him. These things have all been clarified. There are fundamental points that we can't just uh, ignore or negotiate away uh, for the sake of theological um, development or advancement, and when they lose, when some theologians lose track of these things, and they start working from what uh, Pope Benedict calls a hermeneutic of discontinuity, a disconnect with our past, they fall into terrible errors. And you can see what the results of this are when you read uh, the recent notification of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith about the works of a Latin American theologian, a Jesuit by the name of John Sobrino. Sobrino, a liberation theologian, falls into exactly the same errors that were clarified at great councils of the early church. And it's worth your while to read this notification because it's a compendium of certain things about that we know to be true with Catholic faith about Christ and his divinity and the effect of his death and the relationship of Christ with the kingdom of God, what the incarnation was, and what Jesus' self-consciousness, how, how many times, how many times when I was back in seminary did we hear that Jesus didn't understand who he was, he didn't know who he was, and maybe at the time of the baptism, you know, when God told him something about who he is, he began to understand, well, yeah, I mean, clearly this stuff is crazy heresy, but you hear it all the time. 
um, you hear very strange ideas about who Jesus Christ is, and this leads to terrible errors of, for you know ecclesiological things of the very nature of the church itself and the relationship of local churches in the universal church. It has terrible ramifications for the meaning of ministry. It has terrible uh, consequences for liturgical action. If you fall into errors about who Jesus Christ is, you're going to screw up everything it means to be a Christian. And so today we have to have clear preaching about the nature, the two natures of Christ and one divine person and who we are as fallen creatures in need of salvation, who we were before his incarnation, passion, and resurrection, and who we are as a result of those things afterwards, and therefore the consequences of how we ought to be living today. If it was necessary to preach with clarity in Leo's time, it's no less necessary now to preach with great clarity about the fundamentals of the faith, especially with reference to the, the work of those great men, fathers and doctors of the church. Theology didn't start in 1962. It goes all the way back to the very beginnings of our holy church. They press their lips against you of the lies they say And they tried so hard to reach you But you're falling anyway And you know I see right through you Cause the world gets in your way What's the point in all this screaming? You're not listening on those days and very often they're not hearing confessions on those days because uh, liturgists or uh, even their own uh, diocesan chanceries have told them incorrectly that it is forbidden to hear confessions on Good Friday which of, of course is absolutely false but uh, some liturgists will cite uh, the 1970-1975 editions of the Missale Romanum uh, what we call the Novus Ordo, on the, the rubrics on Good Friday and Holy Saturday, which read, and this is my translation, 
On this and the following day, the Church, from a most ancient tradition, does not at all celebrate the sacraments. Well, they say, incorrectly, that the sacraments in that rubric for Good Friday mean all the sacraments, which means, of course, confession, too. But they don't take into consideration that the Missal, the Mass book, is the context of this rubric, and sacramenta refers only to Mass in that rubric, and not other sacraments. And this was a distinction that was understood correctly for centuries. You see, it was Pope Innocent I who was the source of that uh, that original rubric. Uh, Innocent I died in 417. And so, for centuries this was understood correctly until the post-conciliar weird years hit. Now, very happily, someone proposed a dubium to the Congregation for uh, divine worship and discipline of the sacraments, and they clarified this point in their official publication notizi. Yes, uh, you can hear confessions on Good Friday. Not only that, in the 2002 edition, the third edition of the Missali Romano, in paragraph one, for Good Friday, the rubric is made absolutely clear. They use the same language as the rubrics in the earlier editions of the Missal uh, after the Council, but they add a line. And here's how it reads now. On this and the following day, on this, that is Good Friday, and the following day, Holy Saturday, on this and the following day, the Church, from a most ancient tradition, does not at all celebrate the sacraments, except for the sacraments of penance and anointing of the sick. So they made it absolutely clear in the new edition of the Missal that yes, you can hear confessions on Good Friday and Holy Saturday, and no one, let no one tell you that they can't be heard or that it's forbidden to have them. The, the church has made this absolutely clear that it's possible to do it, and it's a very good thing to do. yacked at you for quite a while, but the point of the yacking is this. In the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, our sins were forgiven and the way to heaven was opened to us. And he did this by his incarnation, his passion, his death and resurrection. But despite the fact that we know this, we continue to sin anyway. We fall all the time. And knowing that we would fall, our Lord, in his great compassion and foresight, gave us a great gift, and that's the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of reconciliation. When you confess your sins to the priest, who has Christ's own power to forgive those sins, you receive a clean slate and many graces to help you keep from sinning in the future. You are reconciled to God, you're reintegrated as an active member back into the life of the church. In good conscience, you can approach the other sacraments, including Holy Communion. You make us all stronger by receiving the sacrament of penance and having your sins absolved. This is the way God himself desires for you to be reconciled. And 
Maybe there are, well, I'm sure there are some of you listening to this right now who have not been to confession for a long time. Don't put it off. Go. And even if you are in the, in the habit of going to confession, don't put it off till Easter either. Go now. Go ahead of time. Don't wait till the last moment. And if there are priests out there listening to this who haven't maybe been quite as generous as they ought to be in hearing confessions, remember, this is one of the reasons why we are ordained. And people will be so grateful. The return will be so much more than the, just the time and the effort it takes to sit and hear confessions. Remember, Christ's heart is burning for the return of every sinner. Let's all do our parts, each in our own particular role, and do it for the sake of the whole church as well as for our souls. May God bless you. I hope your Lenten preparation continues to be fruitful. Come on back and listen to these podcasts and come and visit the blog to wdtprs.com. We're waiting to see you and get your feedback and hear your comments. Bye-bye now. Return to me Oh, my dear, I'm so lonely Hurry back